In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be asking lots of questions. Uh, we're going to be asking questions of, of Christmas, about Christmas. Um, we're going to be asking kind of, I, I think, a, a spectrum of questions. is like, why did it happen? What does it all mean? Why does it happen when it did happen? Um, is it even true? Can we believe the Christmas story, or is it a nice uh, fairy tale? And so today I want to start with the biggest question, the most broad question, and then we'll kind of work our way out from there in the coming weeks is, the first question that we have to ask when we're talking about Christmas is, uh, what exactly is the point of Christmas? Because when we hear the Christmas story as modern people, um, we hear the story and we think, oh, you know what, it's an inspiring story, it's about kindness and it's about hope and it's about uh, goodwill towards one another. But then when we ask the question like, but is it real? Like, is it a true story? Is it historical? Um, that's when things start to get a little fuzzy. And some people might say, well, it doesn't even matter if it's true or not. What it's about is what it inspires us to do. And here's the thing, is as we go through the Christmas story, and we're going to go through today in the, the, the Gospel of Luke, a little bit of the Christmas story, uh, Luke talks about the Christmas story as if it were real, as if it were historical. We know that when Luke wrote the Gospel about Jesus' birth, um, he truly believes that this is a, an, a historical event. And we see this a couple different ways. One, when we look into Luke, uh, the first chapter of Luke, Luke opens up his account, the gospel, the story of Jesus' life. He says, look, I have gone around and I have interviewed people who were eyewitnesses, and they say these, ha these things happened in Jesus' life. People are giving a testimony to what took place, what they saw with their own eyes. And he writes it uh, in the context of history, things that we can verify independently of the Gospels. He says things like, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. He's saying things like, look, here's the time, here's the date, here's where it took place, here's the people that I talked to. He is giving us um, a, a historical account of Jesus' life, including his birth. And so when we look at whatever the point is for Christmas, the point is not to inspire us. The point is not so that we can have these warm, fuzzy feelings. Um, it's not about nostalgia. What it is about is primarily about history. In fact, it's about a, a historical event. But it's not just about the event of the birth of Jesus. It actually represents something far more profound and, and bigger than that. And so let me uh, jump into Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can jump in there at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start off at verse 10. And so let me give you a little background of what's happened through uh, verses 1 through 9. Is so far, um, in verses 1 through 9, Jesus has been born, okay? And he's born in a stable. It's probably a hole in like a, the, a mountain. And he's in a manger, which is actually just a food trough for animals. And he's in some kind of, uh, you know, cloth and and. All of a sudden, nearby, there's these shepherds. This is where we're going to jump into the story. And these shepherds are out there, and they're doing the shepherding thing, and uh, boom, an angel appears to them. Okay, so this is where we're going to jump in, because the angel kind of explains to us a bit of the point of Christmas. Here's what it says, and you're probably familiar with this. In uh, Luke 2.10, uh, it says this, Do not be afraid, which is, if you know the Bible, that's standard uh, angel greeting, is do not be afraid, for I bring you... Good news, so that's where we get this word gospel from, good news, uh, of great joy that will be for all the people. So all the people, that includes me and you, that includes people of all time, all colors, all ages, all places, it includes everybody. And so we already know right now that whatever the point of, is, of Christmas is, the point is supposed to be good news, 
It's not supposed to be that someone was born. It's not supposed to even be that it was miraculous. Um, At the core of the Christmas story is supposed to be good news. And so whenever we hear like people uh, come up to us and say, hey, um, I have some really good news for us, for you. Your immediate reaction is not like, ah, geez, what's it going to cost me, right? Like, what do I got to do? What are you trying to get from me? When someone brings us good news, um, it should represent like a gift or an opportunity or something that's going to benefit you in some way. And for some reason, uh, this makes sense in all the arenas of our life, that when someone says like, hey, I got some really good news for you, you're like, cool, I can't wait to hear this. But when someone says, I have some really good news for you about Jesus Christ, people go, oh, come on, really? Why you got to bother me right now? And, and here's the thing that's interesting about this, is Christ came to bring good news, but often people within our culture and our society do not view it as good news. Why is that? I think one of the reasons that is is because we have confused good news with good advice. See, good advice is here is something that you should do in order to benefit you or your family or your loved ones. That something could happen if you make the right choices, decisions, you have the right actions. That's good advice. But good news is simply just an announcement that something has happened that's going to be good for you. It's independent of what you do, independent of what you think or believe. Some kind of event has taken place, and it's really good. And so let me see if I can illustrate the difference between good news and good advice. Is uh, Amy and I have started watching this program called The 100. On, um, we watch on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's fantastic. Okay, so here's what happens. Is um, I get caught in like the Netflix vortex. You know what that is? Where it just sucks you in. You know, it's like a black hole and you can't get out. And the next thing you know, it's like one in the morning and you're like, ah, let's watch one more. And so um, we watch these episodes of The 100 and it's like this post-apocalyptic kind of show in which uh, mankind has pretty much blown itself up, all right, so in a nuclear war, and everybody on earth has died, but there's some people who uh, were living in outer space at the time on a space station, and so they survived, and so they send 100 teenagers who are criminals back to earth to see if it's uh, habitable or not, okay, so they get back, and they find out, oh, wow, we can live here, except they also find out that there were survivors who had been living there, and they're kind of crazy, and they call them grounders, and so now they get attacked by these grounders, and so they have these, war- it's great, okay, watch it, and so here's what's interesting, though, is let's imagine that this is us, okay, so we come from outer space, we land on earth, and we go, oh, this is great, but then these people start attacking us, and we're like, oh my gosh, this is not awesome at all. Now, Here's the difference between good news and good advice. Good news would be something like, hey, we met with the grounders. We've come to some kind of treaty where there's going to be peace between us and them. They're no longer going to try to stab us anymore. Okay, that's really good news. Now I can live my life in peace and in safety, and I don't have to worry about these people trying to kill me all the time. So this good news informs you of some some event that has taken place within the world, and it's probably going to transform the way that you the way that you think, and the way that you live. And Luke is saying that good news is like this. The good news of Jesus is like this, is is Jesus has been born, and it's really good news. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. This event has taken place. There's nothing that you need to do about it. It's simply an announcement of something that has taken place in the world. 
Now, if you contrast this with good advice, you imagine that same scenario where we're being attacked and everything, and a messenger comes up to us and says, uh, the grounders are on their way with an army. They're going to attack us and slaughter everybody. And so you can either run or you can fight, but you got to prepare. That's good advice. We should probably either run or we should fight. That's good advice. That's not good news, however. And religion is kind of like this. Religion is all about good advice. It's, hey, um, here's how you can please God. Here's how you, can, um, how you can have good karma. It's all about good advice, but Christianity is different. Christianity is based upon good news, not good advice. And so whatever the point of Christmas is, um, the good news is not that Jesus has come and so we need to straighten up. It's not about like all these lists of things that we should and we should not do. That's not what Luke is announcing here. He's not saying, Jesus is here, so you need to get your crap together. No, 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 that's not, that's not good news. That's good advice. He also is not saying, well, you need to get back to church because when this story happened, there wasn't church like we have today. And so that can't be the good news. And the good news is not that you should give your life over to God, although that probably is good advice. That's not the news either. The good news fundamentally has to do with an announcement that something has taken place here on earth. Something that's independent of what you do or you don't do, what you believe or you don't believe, that some kind of event has taken place. And so I want to talk about the good news, but before, before I get into this whole good news and what it means and how it affects our life, I want to kind of backtrack and talk about what the bad news is. Because like in order to understand the good news, you've got to understand the bad news. Because you're not going to understand the gravity of the good news unless you understand uh, the complexity and gravity of the bad news. And so here's the bad news. And this may come to a shock, uh, this might be a shocker for some of you, but the bad news is that the world is royally screwed up. Okay, so the, ro- the, the world is, is a jacked up place. Now, um, for us, we sort of live in a bubble, right? We live in the most, like, uh, modern, scientifically uh, progressed, and uh, medically progressed place in all of human history. And we live in a very safe place at that. And so we kind of live in a bubble. And once in a while, we'll have this tragedy that will strike, and it will kind of pierce our bubble for a little bit, and we'll realize, oh man, the world isn't as good or as safe or as nice as I like to believe that it is. But then we try to kind of get back into that bubble, and we get to live there for a while. But here's the thing, is most of the world, definitely historically and even presently, does not get the um, luxury of living within that bubble. Most of the world sees, um, sees nature and sees human nature very differently than you and I do. And so let me point out a couple of things. First one, uh, not only is the world screwed up, but nature is screwed up. So if you think about nature, and people like, and I'm not like trying to bag on people who try to be all natural and things like that, but like, let me just point out something. Nature is trying to kill you most of the time, okay? And so like to think like, oh, if it's natural, it's good for you. It's like, really? Because like tornadoes and sharknadoes and all those things, those are all natural, right? And so like those things are natural and yet they are trying to kill you most of the time. Uh, Earthquakes, tsunamis, cancer, disease, all of it is, okay, so um, sometimes I I get a little bit, this is kind of weird, but I get a little ornery in the office. And so I'll go around and I'll go to different people's offices and I'll be like, hey, um, I really need to show you this cool video that I just found. And so, <laughs> and so I'll walk in and I'll be like, oh, check this out. And I'll just show them the most gnarly, like, oh, look, it's a flesh-eating bacteria. Look, the guy's face is gone. And they're like, oh, I'm like, I know, I ruined your life. That's right. And I just walk out like, what's up then? And, 
and I, I don't know, for some reason these things fascinate me, is watching how uh, destructive nature can be sometimes, it's just, oh my gosh, like I'm glad it doesn't happen to me, but like I love like researching, I love watching videos about this kind of stuff. I know, it's sadistic, but pray for me. Um, <laughs> we had this one this week that I showed uh, Ryan, I think, um, and I'm like, dude, this is crazy. Check this out. And this girl, I think she's in South America, and her lip is huge, like massive, and it's just way out there. And so they end up like cutting a little slice in it and then putting tweezers in there and pulling out a worm that was this big out of her lip that was eating all the flesh within her lip. Nature. Awesome. Okay. You guys should YouTube that. That's a good time. Yeah. I, I'm not even going to go there. Alec is telling me, tell him about the bull. Let's just say this guy went up against a bull and he lost his face. So here we go. Now that I have depressed all of you, let's keep going. Here's what's worse than nature, though. Let's just go. Let's just go there. Okay, here's what's worse than nature. Is nature is messed up for sure, but here's what's even more messed up than nature. People are more messed up than nature, right? We are so jacked up. And if you do not believe this, just go and drive for 30 minutes, okay? I am honestly, on a daily basis, I am reminded of how stupid and screwed up people are, including myself, I get it. I will confess this to you right now. This last week, I lost it a little bit when I was driving, okay? I, uh, I was driving and this guy decided that he wanted to uh, drive directly in front of me uh, where I was driving and he wanted to be a jerk about it and he, so he intentionally like does this cut me off thing and then he just looks straight forward, you know, you know that where he looks straight forward like I'm not going to look at him because I know he's looking at me and then we're, and he's mad at me right now and so I don't know what I was thinking during this whole thing but I thought I'm going to follow him, I'm going to follow him, I don't know what my plan was in this whole deal but I'm like I'm going to follow him and so I like, every, I like put on like my mad dog face, you know, just like, what's up then? What's up then? And so I followed him for 15 minutes. I know, I'm a psycho, I'm a psycho. And, uh, and it was crazy because sometimes he would like, he would swear, he knew I was back there. He was with his girlfriend. I hope his girlfriend was so scared. And so, <laughs> I, look, I'm not saying I'm proud. I'm just telling you this is what happened. And so this dude would like swerve in and out of traffic. And I got this old pickup. It is not fast, nor does it swerve anywhere. And I would, he would eventually get like stuck at a light and here I would come just cruising. And I'd like be behind him and probably he'd be like, what the frick, dude? Like this guy is still behind me. And it became clear, like he'd make a left. I'm like, Wah! you know, I just, and then eventually I got to the church and I went, okay, I should probably stop. You know, <laughs> like, oh, I'm here. I hear you, Lord. And, uh, <laughs> and so look, look. We're all a mess. We are all a disaster. We drive like idiots. We respond to idiot drivers like idiots. Like, it's just, we're a mess all the time. And, and look, even more serious, when you look at the world, you watch the news, you hear about world history, it is just full of people who are not just rude, okay? This is a rude person, we're rude. But like people who are liars, hypocrites, murderers. I mean, you think of it, humans have done it. We're, we're jacked up. And if we look at kind of the progression of history, of human history, um, we would think that as we progress in our, our medical knowledge and our technology and even in our, our moral and ethic philosophy, you would think that, okay, we're probably going to get better as a human race. Not true. In fact, the more that we start to learn um, about the world, the more technology that we have, we just become better at killing one another. 
We don't get better as individuals. We don't get better as societies. We end up just being able to murder people on a more massive scale because there's something about us that is just jacked up, right? It's true of you, and it's true of me. See, we even uh, have, have these questions, and, and I think uh, once in a while we'll ask these questions, but really all of us as individuals, we live in a fog of confusion, and we try to distract ourselves away from this confusion, and we try to keep ourselves busy, and we try to keep ourselves uh, thinking about the future and, and continuing to push forward, but we never stop to ask the deep, dark questions about our life. Like, why am I important or why am I valuable? What is the purpose of my life? Is there anyone in the universe who actually cares about me and my family and even us as a human race? Is there anybody out there? These big, scary questions, and here's what's interesting is, um, these questions are not new. People have been asking these questions since the very beginning. But as we progress, in quotes, as a society, we don't find more answers. We actually become more and more confused. So here's what's happened. Um, we have adopted this idea that, um, that our beliefs and that our actions and what we morally think is right and wrong is culturally relative. Is it's dependent upon where you live and the, the time that you live and what you feel as an individual. And so we've bought into this idea that um, what's right for you is right for you and what's wrong for you is wrong for you. And so, relative, and so good and bad is, is relative according to each person in each culture. But, and so one simple example of this is, um, is it good to live with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? And our culture would not have a definitive answer. It would be dependent upon who you ask. Some people would say, well, yeah, of course, you got to test drive before you buy the car, right? And then others would say, no, no, absolutely not. Here's because of my religious belief. And so we don't have answers to some of the more fundamental questions. And because we've decided that things are right or wrong depending on how we feel or we think, we are now confused about not just the big questions of like who are we, why are we valuable, but we don't even know, the, we don't even know how to answer the fundamental questions about um, what's the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of, of sex, sexuality? What's gender? These are things that most of humanity has had a consistent answer on and yet we are very much confused about these fundamental questions. We're even confused about who is human, what makes someone human, when they become a person or not, and if we have the right to be able to kill them or not. These are some huge questions, and we're not getting more clarity on these questions, we're getting more and more confused out as a culture about these things. Not only are we confused about the big questions of life, we are, uh, we are we're kind of a mess relationally is we keep seeing marriages fall apart, we keep seeing conflict between the ones who we love, our, our families are, are highly dysfunctional, and at the end of the day, all of us, whether we like to admit or not, and you don't have to be a Christian to agree with this, all of us are hypocrites. We know that there's a way in which we should live, however you, however you say that is, you say that there is a way that you should live and you should not live, and yet nobody can seem to live consistently with that is here's what I should do, here's what I should not do. Whatever your ethical guide, whatever your moral standard is, you still don't live up to that. And then we also have these unfulfilled desires. We desire that there's justice in the world, that these evil things that have been done to people, who, that there will be justice to serve to them. And yet here's the, here's the fact, and this is kind of shocking to us in the Western world, is most of the evils that have been done to people will go unpunished. People will get away with it and never receive any punishment, no matter how wicked their crime is. 
And yet there's something within us that says this cannot be. There has to be justice in the end. And then we also desire fulfillment. Every person in here is looking for fulfillment. And we, we, this manifests in a ton of different ways. It's either we seek it in our, our careers or in our relationships or in making money or status or whatever it is. And all of us are seeking some kind of fulfillment. And here's the crazy fact of life. Nobody will get it. No one will get it. It doesn't matter if you make the most money in the world, if you get to have sex with whomever and whenever you want. It doesn't matter if you have all the power. It doesn't matter if you have all the status. I don't care who you are. Eventually, you will come to the end of your life and say, I still am not fulfilled, even if I got everything I dreamed of. See, we have this desire within us, this thirst that can never be quenched in this life that we can never find the answer to the question that we're looking for, that we will have these desires that will go unfulfilled no matter what we accomplish in our life. And so when we look at the bad news, and this is all the stuff we try to avoid, and hopefully I've painted an incredibly depressing picture for you tonight, is these are the things that are the reality of life that we don't want to face. We keep ourselves busy so we don't have to think about it. But here's the thing. If we are being intellectually honest, we have to answer these questions. We have to come up with an explanation of why is the world like this and how do we fix it? And see, people come up with answers all the time. They'll say things like, well, the world is screwed up and the reason why is because of, and they will start naming things. And so the whole presidential election was actually based upon this premise is here's what's wrong with the world. And so they will name things like income inequality or racial tension or uh, there's inadequate laws and regulations or corrupt government and leaders or maybe it's even religion and ideologies. These are the problems. And so the way that we're going to fix them is we're going to, uh, we're going to give people better self-esteem and better education and we're going to give more income in, uh, equality quality and we're getting, and okay, sure, great. Maybe these things are problems. I'm not even going to argue that. And maybe these solutions are great solutions, but are they really going to solve all the things that we just talked about? See, here's the problem. Here's why this doesn't work. It's because some part of creation is the problem in this scheme, and another part of creation is going to be the solution. But here's what happens. You end up demonizing something that isn't bad enough so you end up blaming something that cannot explain the evils of the world, that cannot answer the questions that we have. See, when we say that it's income inequality or racism that is the problem, which those are problems, sure, but when we blame all of the world's problems on those things, do you think that if we solve those that then the, the world's going to be okay? Absolutely not. We end up proposing something that is not going to be bad enough to explain why the world is the way that it is. And then we end up idolizing something that isn't powerful enough to fix it. Do we really believe that if Hitler had a little bit of better self-esteem, maybe some education, and a couple more friends, he wouldn't have been a mass murderer? Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. Why? Because the solution that we propose is not going to be powerful enough to address the evils within the world. And so we have to start looking at some other options. We have to start looking at other solutions. We have to start diagnosing the problem in a different way. And here's what the brilliance of the, the scripture is, is the scripture says, look, um, the problem is not within creation because the problem is so big and it's so massive that the problem actually comes from outside of creation. It, it's something that's on a, a cosmic scale. The Christian answer says that we were made for a relationship with God, but we lost it through this rebellion calls it sin. And because of this rebellion against God, there has been this separation between the infinite and us, between God, the all-powerful and almighty, and us, his creation. 
And because of this gap, we have become cosmic orphans. And the evil that we continue to see throughout the world, that we continue to try to address, the reason why we can't address it is because it's within us. It's not something out there. It's something that's in here. So the good news is that Jesus becomes the answer to those problems. See, it's when we understand how bad the problem is that we can understand how good this good news is. That Jesus ultimately is the answer to our questions, our desires, our jacked up lives, and more importantly, he has given us a way to be reconciled to our creator. See, when, um, when we talk about Christmas, we're talking about a few things. The good news is that the invisible God has been made visible. Imagine living before Christ came, um, what you would think of God. Right, like we we get to live on the other side of of Christmas, in which we know who God is. We get to see the uh, we get to see God made flesh, that the invisible has become visible. But imagine what it felt like before that. I mean, you think it takes faith right now to be a Christian, to believe in God, to follow Jesus? But can you imagine what it was like prior to that? See, the invisible God has been made visible. So there's no more guessing what God is like. There's no more hoping that he's out there. He actually stepped down, and now we can see who he is and what he's like. This also means that our sins can be forgiven. This whole idea that we are rebellious sinners against a a perfect God is something that we don't really like to admit. But the good news is that once you admit that, there's actually a way to reconcile with God that your sins can be forgiven, that you don't have to live with regret and shame for the rest of your life for those deep, dark secrets that you hold, that those things God knows about can be forgiven. And ultimately, we can have hope and purpose, hope that death is not the end and our pain is not pointless, that justice will be served and and good will defeat evil. See, every great movie has the premise that good will win in the end. Have you ever watched a movie in which evil wins? There's probably a few out there and you walk away going, well, that sucks. That's a bummer of a time. I'm not seeing that again, unless you're a little bit sadistic and messed up. But there's something in us that says, no, 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 no. The way that this works is good defeats evil in the end. And if Jesus is who he says he is, that is true. If not, we can't bet on that. And ultimately, our relationships can be healed. They can be mended, not only with God, but with one another. And the whole reason is because the king has arrived and he's reclaiming his kingdom. He is saying, look, I created this. It has gone against me in rebellion and now I'm bringing it back under my rulership. And as he does that, he brings healing, he brings peace, and he brings salvation to those who want to live in his kingdom. And so here's the second question I want to ask is why would God do this? And I'll be kind of uh, quick on this one. Why would God do this? Right? God doesn't need us. Like that is this... Um, That is this very, like, uh, arrogant claim that we kind of think, like, well, God needs me, you know? Like, why would God God allow this to happen to me? Because, like, you know how good I am? I'm really smart and good-looking, and it's like, bah, (laughs) he doesn't need you, okay? That's the bad news. He does not need you. But here's the great news. He loves you, and he wants you anyway. And so when we think about why Christmas took place, um, the, the classic text to look at, and it's probably the most famous text in all the Bible, John 3.16, right? Tim Tebow is not the original uh, creator of John 3.16, nor did he make it famous. Okay, here's what it says, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. See, God does the same thing that you and I do when we love somebody, is we give them something, Right? 
I mean, if you've ever loved somebody, you want to give them something. It doesn't necessarily mean a physical gift, but you want to give them, give them something. Because intuitively, we know that when we love somebody, we give them something. I don't know why this just popped into my head, but do you remember, um, do you remember the, the movie Hook? You remember the Hook? Yeah, those of you who are under 25 are like, I've never heard of it before. Um, well, it was my childhood. So I don't know why. But in the movie, this is such a random reference right now. I apologize. Okay. But in the movie, uh, Peter gives Wendy a what? Right. A thimble, right? A thimble. He calls it a kiss. And he's like, no, I'm going to give her a real kiss later. You know, right? Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. So I don't know what it is. But there's something within all of us that says, oh, when I love somebody, I just want to give them something, right? In fact, that's what the core of marriage is, is marriage is not supposed to be me taking from you. It's supposed to be me giving to you for the rest of my life. It's me giving of, uh, of my body. It's me giving of my emotions, uh, of my finances. It's me giving of my schedule, my time, my t- everything. It is full life just giving for the rest of your life. That's why many of our marriages are failing. This is a tangent, but I'm going to go there. This is why so many marriages are failing is because we live in this very consumeristic society in which we believe marriage is about making us feel better and about making us happy. Not true. If you go into marriage thinking that, Oh, wow, you're in trouble. Marriage is about giving. That's the only way marriage works because that's the way that it was designed. And so if you go in thinking you're going to take, it is going to fail, and it's going to fail dramatically. It's all about giving. Okay, enough of that. Um, anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, John 3, 16. Good. Um, the idea that God gave us something because he loves us is actually a pretty radical concept. So we live in a Western world. We live in a place in which very much influenced by Christianity. It doesn't matter if you're not a Christian. You never even step foot in church. The conception that you have, if you believe in God, is probably heavily influenced on the God of the Bible. Like I, I watched this thing. We uh, did a series up at uh, main campus, and there was a thing. Um, I think it was like Jennifer Love Hewitt or something where she says, well, I believe God is love. You know, he just loves me. He would never judge me. He's just happy. You know, he's just happy. He just loves what I do. And and it's interesting because that belief right there is purely from Christianity, where it says that God is love. Because if you look at the other religions of the world, God is not like that. If you believe that God is loving, it's because you have bought into the God of the Bible. See, um, when this was written, the Roman gods, the Romans would not say, oh yeah, well, God is loving. You know, no, 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 no. The gods like to screw with your life, is what they thought. They would kill your children. They would ruin your crops. They would make people sick. They would would just jack up your life. The gods were not all loving and wanted to give you things. The god wanted to play with you and mess up your life. This is even true of a lot of religions today. Uh, One, for example, Islam. Islam does not have a god that is all loving. It has a god that's love is contingent. God loves some people. God loves those who are faithful Muslims. God loves those who who continue to follow Allah. And he hates the unbeliever. He hates the sinner. He hates the transgressor and the evildoers. So the idea that God's love is is common to us, but it is a radical conception that only comes from the scriptures. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, See, the good news is that God loves us, so he gave us something. The better news is he loved us so much that he gave us the perfect something or someone. He gave us his son. He says, this is the best gift that I can give. It's my son. The third, or the, the, this part of the Trinity in which 
They were in a loving relationship for eternity past, and then God gives us this person, Jesus Christ, where he will later give his life as well. And continues on, that whoever, that whoever is, is us, right? It's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles, it's not just for 2,000 years ago, it's for today, it's not just for uh, the West, it's for the East, that whoever believes in him. Okay, now this is really important, especially as we talk about Christmas. This word, believes, when we think of this, we think of believes like, we think of like, you know, kids believe in, in Santa Claus, which by the way, if you know me, is a hot topic for me because I don't understand when it's appropriate to lie to your children about Santa Claus, but that's fine. Amy and I are praying about it. Okay. Um, no, no, but, but it's like this. is when we read this word believe, we think of, okay, p- people you know, believe in Santa Claus, or, or I believe that you can do it, or whatever it is. It, it's some kind of, um, it's some, it means something about like believing that Jesus exists, right? So when we read this, we think, okay, if I believe, well, I believe Jesus exists, uh, and I believe that he was born a virgin, and I believe that he died on a cross, and I believe that he rose again. And so I believe all these historical facts. That's not what John has in mind when he uses this word. This word is actually, in the Greek, uh, means um, trust. And so we could actually modify this a little bit. There wasn't a word for trust exactly. It was kind of synonymous with believe. And so what John is really saying is he says, whoever trusts in him, whoever trusts in him, so when we, when we talk about believing in Jesus, it's not that we affirm some historical facts. It's more like this. It's more like the way that you believe you know, or you trust in a ski lift when you're riding up in it, right? Like you ever have that moment where you go, I really hope this works, man, because <laughs> like we're real high right now. Now it'd be a bummer if it didn't work, right? But like you're, like, you're 100 feet off the ground and you're thinking, I'm fine. Jesus, take the wheel. Okay, we're good right now. But when you trust in that ski lift, it's not like you like only put half your weight on it, you know? Where you're like, I got one cheek on and one cheek off kind of thing. That's not how this works, okay? When you sit on this ski lift and it takes you to the top, you are 100% in. You don't get to go halfway. It's I'm all in, I put all of my weight, I put everything and trusting in this chair. I really hope that this works. That's what, that's what the scripture talks about when it talks about believing or trusting in Jesus. It's not I, I believe these certain historical things about Jesus because it also says that Satan and his demons believe those same things. They believe those historical facts as well. There's this belief that it's a trust in him. So what John is saying is, if you put your entire life in Jesus' hands, if you, if you put the weight of your world into him, if you fully lean into him and you surrender everything to him, that's what it means to believe. And he says this, he finishes with, if you believe or you trust, then you will receive something. He says you will receive this thing called eternal life. It says you shall not perish but have eternal life, meaning that you are not going to cease to exist Right? That's what perish means. It means you will cease to exist, but you will not cease to exist, but you will continue to live on forever. Even when you die, you don't actually die. You live on in a relationship with God and with others for eternity. And so look, here's the crazy thing, is the entire Christmas story can be kind of boiled down to four main points, and John makes them here. He says the first point is that God loves us. That God loves us. 
Look, I have a hard time accepting this, and you probably do too. And for some reason, I can intellectually affirm that God loves me. I get that, right? My theology, I think, is pretty, pretty good. And yet, on a heart level, we go, but like, does he really? Like, does he really? Because like, I've done some crazy stuff. I've thought some things. In fact, I still think some things. And sometimes there's some stuff that pops up in my life, and I just go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was down there. I didn't know that I still felt that way. I didn't know that this was still something that I struggled with. And it's in those moments, I was, I was praying right before the service. I'm like, God, um, I know that you love me, but like, I suck at this being a Christian thing. Like, I really suck at this. I suck at praying. I don't do it very often. I think some things. I follow people on the road. I do weird stuff. <laughs> and yet... It's independent of what we feel in that moment because he has showed us, even if we don't feel it, he has showed us that he loves us when he gave us this gift. You know, you ever like, you ever feel unloved, but then someone does something and you go, oh my gosh, independent of how I feel right now, I know that it's true that you love me. That's what Jesus is about, is God says, I love you even if you don't feel it, and let me prove it to you, and he gives us his perfect gift, his son. And he doesn't require anything from us. He doesn't say, okay, and you get to have this if you act good for the rest of your life. If you earn this thing. No, 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 that's not the good news. Remember, that's good advice. The good news is he gave you a gift. And here's what he says. He says, so you can receive it by trusting in him. That's it. I know, it's crazy. Like, you go, where are the strings that are attached to this whole deal? And he says, no, 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 no. If you trust, if you give your life over to him, then... You not only will get the gift of Jesus, but then you will, get the, you will get the gift of eternal life. God loves us. He gave us a gift. If we trust in him, we receive eternal life. That's the gospel right there. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to read the Bible every day of your life, although I suggest that you do. That's it right there. That's the message of Christmas. And so let me just give you one more thought. Don't confuse the pointers of Christmas for the point of Christmas. I was thinking about this all weekend is there's lots of pointers for Christmas that we kind of think now are the point, but they're not. So like, for example, gift giving. We think that gift giving is one of the points of Christmas. It's one of the reasons why we have Christmas, but it's not. It's actually a pointer to, of Christmas. The reason why we give gifts to the people whom we love is because God has given us a gift because he loves us. And it's just supposed to be another pointer, another reminder that God loves us and has given us a gift. And so we love one another, and so we give each other gifts. And so as we go through these coming weeks, and as we get closer to Christmas, and, and we have all these traditions and all these things, don't miss the point of Christmas. Don't allow the pointers of Christmas to become the point of Christmas, because the point of Christmas is that God loves us. He gave us the incredible gift of Jesus. So if we trust in him, we will receive eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we... Uh, We thank you for um, what a good father you are. And Lord God, um, independent of how I may feel in any given moment, whether I feel worthy or, or not, whether I feel loved or embarrassed or ashamed, Christmas is a reminder that um, you have um, given us a gift. You've given me a gift because you love me. Independent of what I do or I don't do, independent of, of me earning anything, it's simply because 
Um, you love me that you have provided a way for us to be reconciled. And so, Lord God, I would just pray that if any of us are struggling with inadequacy, that we're just not worthy. Um, one, we would realize that's true, we're not worthy. There's nothing that we can do. But the good news is there's nothing that we have to do because it's simply a gift. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.